You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Daniel Pinchbeck is the author of 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl, and Breaking Open the Head, A Psychedelic Journey into the Heart of Contemporary Shamanism. He's an editor of Toward 2012, Perspectives on the Next Age. His new book is Notes from the Edge Times. Thank you for speaking with me, Daniel. Thanks for having me. You know, Daniel, as I read this book, I really enjoyed it in a kind of a peculiar way because it struck me as being a series of very elaborate and wonderfully written footnotes, in a sense, for uh, 2012, The Coming of Quetzalcoatl, and also a way, um, it's a series almost of introductions to that book. There's a kind of a feedback loop between these two books. I think that's really entertaining. Oh, cool. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, I mean, um, I was writing, a lot of those were columns for these magazines, Conscious Choice and Whole Lifetime. So, you know, I was kind of writing for an audience that didn't necessarily know the past work. Uh, so I was kind of trying to introduce, introducing myself, but then also putting forth the new ideas that I'd been thinking about in, in, a, in you know, a pretty short format. You know, obviously some of the essays are also longer. You know, one of the things that I, I think is interesting about all of your writing is the main character of all your writing. I'm speaking to him right now, <laughs> Daniel. Talk, tell me about creating yourself as a piece of literature. Creating myself as a piece of literature. That's interesting. Um... Because if I just pick up 2012 from the bookstore and notes from the Edge Times uh, from the bookstore, there's one character in there, really. That's you. Well, there's some other characters in, in Breaking <laughs> Up in the Head in 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bunch of other characters, actually. Well, yeah, but I, um, the main character is you. And... Yeah, I mean, um, that's, a good, that's an interesting perspective. I mean, yeah, I guess uh, that's part of the literary art is you, um, you know, kind of find yourself um, and... Um, define yourself as, as, as a persona, in, in a way. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, 2012, which I think is a really interesting work, because it's your uh, journey, I think, towards yourself in a, in a written format as you explore a, lot of no, a number of really interesting ideas. And I think you're a, a master of synthesis. Thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, um, that seems to be a talent I have, is that I'm able to look at issues and ideas from different vantage points without getting kind of uh, overly, you know, caught up in, in, one, in one perspective or something. Well, talk about some of the ideas that you decided to synthesize in uh, 2012. I, I, for me, one of the more, more interesting parts was uh, the, your perception of crop circles. And, and this is something that's been talked about a lot, but I think the way you, what you brought to it was really original. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, um, I ended up, I mean, having spent a couple of years investigating the phenomenon and going to a lot of the, the formations and so on, talking to all these different people from hoaxers to skeptics to kind of uh, poetic philosopher visionaries on the subject, uh, you know, I ended up feeling that there is a real phenomenon there and, and actually more or less convinced that um, the phenomenon as, as a whole is a kind of teaching uh, Perhaps from a uh, higher intelligence or a galactic intelligence. I don't like to, I don't like to use the word higher, but but a more a more evolved consciousness that is uh, giving us 
information about the nature of uh, our reality. Could you uh, just uh, take us to one of the crop circles you visited? Just bring us there and put us on the ground. What, is it, was, what was it like when you went there? Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's a while back now, but um, I, they have a you know, very palpable charge, a kind of mysterious energy to them. You, 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 what uh, time in the morning were you there? Were you there in the morning, the afternoon? Or? Uh, yeah, I mean, I went uh, many different times to, mm -hmm. to see them. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it seems like a very peaceful land. It's these rolling green hills in England and, uh, you know, these fields. And then you go out and you find this, you know, mysterious pattern laid out where to a lot of care to the details of how the, how the crop has kind of uh, been kind of s s sort of swirled down uh, layer. Sometimes there's layering, sometimes there's strange little, almost like, uh, like uh, poetic uh, twirls at the center of the different uh, parts of the circle and so on. Uh, and then you have meetings with people there, conversations as you come around different corners of the thing. And Often, if it's a new one, you can have really nice meditative experiences where you, where you very feel you really feel the energy imprint that was left there, and and, and uh, can go into your own kind of inner inner journey. Well, one of the things that strikes me about uh, notes from the Edge Times is the, the as a, compared to your other works, your other works were longer pieces, and you know, allowed you to, for example, when you talked about crop circles, you gave yourself a lot of space and, and you took the readers through a really interesting journey, your journey. Uh, when you're writing essays for uh, magazines, that's a different kind of uh, task. How much control did you have over the content? Did they just say, go for it? I, I had pretty much complete control over the content, but obviously I didn't have control over the length. So so they're, they're, they're shorter pieces. And, um, you know, I... I have been seeking to write a longer book, uh, incorporating some of the themes that are in Notes from the Edge Times, but uh, those really ended up being the, the, the pieces that were good. And, uh, you know, I may have kind of over-challenged myself over the last few years because I have, uh, I made a film, 2012 Time for Change, uh, which has been in theaters in New York and L.A. and Portland and Seattle. It's now available, I think, through our website, 2012timeforchange.com. Uh, where we interview Sting and Ellen Page, we went all around talking to all these uh, luminaries. Greenfest actually features in it, where I'm going today. Uh, I also launched a web magazine, Reality Sandwich, um, realitysandwich.com, which gets about maybe 100,000 visitors a month, covering a range of topics related to my work and other people's ideas. And uh, from that, we also launched a social network called Evolver.net. Out of Evolver, we created something that we call the Evolver Social Movement, we now have over 40 groups in the U.S. and internationally who meet up each month in offline, you know, real-world events that we call Evolver Spores. And each month there's a spore on a different subject across the network. So it could be sustainability, it could be water, it could be the future of psychedelic substances, it could be UFOs, it could be peace. And um, that's taken up a lot of uh, my energy just... just Basically, when, 20, 20, when 2012 came out, one of the main questions that I got asked all the time is, you know, people wanted to know what do they do? If they understand that this huge transformation is coming, that we're hitting this ecological kind of crisis point, you know, the resources are declining. I mean, now we're seeing this unfolding of this economic crisis, you know, soon going to go into another more desperate stage in this country, I would say. Um, there needs to be alternative uh, in place, alternatives in place. I mean... 
the, the, and, and from, my, from my perspective, there needed to be um, alternative media, uh, you know, not just left-wing, but, but media that is actually exploring issues around the nature of psychic reality, consciousness, not enough just for me to talk about this stuff. You know, and, I, I, and I got so many emails from people who um, had amazing ideas around these subject areas. So that, for me, was the genesis of Reality Sandwich. And then with Evolver, um, when Reality Sandwich picked up, we saw from the comments that people really wanted to find each other and connect. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to create an uh, infrastructure for um, community development, you know, for communities to come together. And, and in a way, what, what, I, what I hope that it could develop into, in a way I still feel it's just in prototype form, is a uh, civil society infrastructure. Because I don't feel that we have now uh, a way for people to come together as they used to maybe in the past. And... Um, make decisions around what's important for them and then make changes in their locality. Um, this is a thing that Tom, I mean, I wrote about this in Notes from the Edge Times. There's a few essays about it and I talk about how mm -hmm. even Thomas Jefferson towards the end of his life recognized that the uh, republic system they'd set up had, had taken away too much power from people and that they really should have, have made townships into kind of elementary republics where, where, where people would have more decision-making power about how things took place on the ground at a local and a local level exactly mm -hmm. and and so and there's another movement in this regard which is called transition town which i find very interesting which is a uh, social organizing movement from the uk based on permaculture principles <clears throat> but it's also started to become popular in the u.s i talk about that in notes from the edge times too so, so in a way what notes from the edge times really is is um like our film is my you know best efforts over the last few years to address that question, like what can be done, you know, I think that we're, we're, we're really, you know, seeing now kind of um, accelerating potential for a catastrophe in our society. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, the, no, nobody can put the brakes, nobody in, in the political and, and corporate machine can, can even put the brakes on the slide right now. So, you know, the martial arts move is, is to somehow, you know, move out of the way, you know, but then also to construct the viable alternatives that people have something to move towards as the systems that they've been counting on are no longer functioning. So as as the the culture that we're all familiar with for the past two, three hundred years falls apart, as that after that falls apart, what remains standing is what your civilized uh, network. Well, hopefully, I mean, I don't think it's just mine. There's a lot of people working on this in, in, in all sorts of ways. Um, you know, hopefully we're offering a piece of the puzzle uh, and and our, our whole model with Evolver is to, is to, you know, synergize with other groups. So we mm -hmm. bring in Transition Town or the Zeitgeist Movement. You were talking about Jack Vallee before, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, uh, Rainforest Action Network, you know, or whatever initiative. I mean, um, you know, complementary currencies are, are a piece of the puzzle, you know, so, 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 you know, so in a, in a sense, what the Evolver local groups are doing is, is what I've done in my work, which is to synthesize mm -hmm. a lot of different perspectives and, and hopefully allow to hold space so that um, the kind of fractured, um, separated fragments of our progressive culture can, can, can begin to mesh back together into something that's like a coherent opposition. So at the moment you have, you know, bankrupt uh, liberal intelligentsia, that's uh, basically an adjunct of the military industrial corporate complex. And, and then you have a bunch of, you know, screaming maniacs who, who are following uh, right-wing zealots who are, un, un, who are funded by, uh, you know, right-wing billionaires. You know, one of the things that I thought was interesting was your comment on the, uh, on the 
psychedelic the the psychedelic meeting that you called sh almost shockingly respectable. Mm -hmm. Talk about that that meeting and and why why you use that particular description. Uh, well, I mean, it's not just that meeting. I, I mean, that was that was I was describing in Basel. There was a um, uh, World Psychedelic Forum, I think it was called, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> that that happened right before Albert Hoffman's death, and brought together researchers and and uh, thinkers around the subjects. But um, Right now, there's there's a major reconsideration of psychedelics uh, going on uh, in our society. And a lot of people are not aware of that, uh, but basically, when when the, in the '60s um, these substances were, you know, made illegal and suppressed, uh, and all research on them was stopped for almost 40 years, or yeah, something like 40 years. Um, and only in the last decade has, has has research been allowed again, especially with the humans. And uh, there have been some remarkable studies now underway, a whole, whole bunch of them, and it's actually growing rapidly as a field. So you have studies on psilocybin, which is the active component in mushrooms for treating obsessive compulsive disorder, for treating cluster headaches, giving psilocybin to terminally ill cancer patients to see if it changes their perception of the, of, of the dying process, uh, using ayahuasca as a treatment for addiction, um, studying LSD and psychotherapy in Switzerland. Um, and uh, then probably what could be the most significant study actually is a study with MDMA, uh, which is also known as ecstasy, uh, given to uh, Iraqi and Afghanistan vets returning from the wars with post-traumatic stress disorder. So MDMA as a treatment tool for post-traumatic stress disorder, which to me, you know, from my own experiences with that substance makes total sense that uh, that could be a very, very... Uh, profound helper for, for people with a lot of trauma to, 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 to process what happened to them. There's also movements happening around the sacramental use of psychedelics. So um, the uh, Uno de Vegetalis, which is a Brazilian-based religion that uses ayahuasca as a sacrament, won a Supreme Court uh, case that, uh, at least theoretically, permits them to use ayahuasca, their tea, as a sacrament. Uh, recently, the Santo Daime, which is another religion from Brazil, the one that I actually write about in 2012, the Return of Quetzalcoatl, because I went down and, and worked with them in Brazil, they won a federal case in Oregon where the judge said, there's really no problem with these people using the substance, it's not causing any harm, there's no reason to appeal this. Now, the, these uh, uh, cases, the success of these cases is based on the precedent of the Native American church. In the, 1990, in the early 1990s, a uh, Supreme Court tried to take away federal protection from the Native American church uh, and uh, cause an outcry. Uh, Judge Scalia at that point said that maybe there was too much religious freedom in this country, but luckily there was an uproar and an outcry, and Congress was kind of pressured to issue a, a, an emergency religious, religious freedoms act. Uh, so it's really the struggle of the Native Americans, which is allowing for uh, white people, you know, or whoever, through ayahuasca to have these types of experiences going forward. And this is an important part of your vision of the, the change that we're in the midst of because these substances help us achieve a more shamanic experience of the world. So I, I'd like you to talk about how we move from the kind of individual groups to a more, a, a bigger vision, shamanic vision of the world. Yeah, I mean, you know, I get called an advocate or a proponent of the psychedelic experience. And I don't think that's exactly correct. Mm -hmm. I just feel that, you know, as as adults, we should have free determination of consciousness states. And, um, you know, th these substances have a long history of, of human use. Uh, they're, you know, they're certainly, 
you know, they're considered medicines and healing agents in a lot of cultures. Uh, they've been, they've, they've been, I think, unnecessarily demonized in, in our culture. Uh, in terms of a larger shamanic process, I mean, you kind of, you, there's like a few pieces there. I mean, you know, what, one is this idea of, uh, you know, kind of initiation and maybe the sixties, what we now think of as, you know, the sixties were, were the beginning of a kind of voyage of initiation for the modern Western mind. Mm -hmm. And, but it couldn't be completed at that point because we didn't have enough tools. We didn't have elders. We didn't have enough foundation. So it kind of, the, the, that, that movement kind of went underground. It's possible that it could take another step forward through through the initiatory process and that might be one thing that's you know 2012 whatever that means could 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 represent you know maybe maybe this is a time where that next phase of initiation has to take place so that well, that might have that movement itself might have created the elders created a generation who yeah are I mean, now it, the it created elders. a lot of baby boomer narcissists who've been like <laughs> feeding like parasites on the fat of the land but but it, all, it also created some you know real initiates and elders and, and also a lot more connections were made with you know tradition holders lineage holders in, in these in these other cultures uh, I'd like you to talk specifically about ayahuasca I just was speaking with Graham Hancock about his his work with that and how it influenced his his fiction and his uh, ayahuasca turned him towards fiction, it, the, his experience in there. Tell us what you do when you are in the place where ayahuasca takes you. Um, yeah, I mean, um, it's a, you know, visionary medicine, you know, much like uh, mushrooms or peyote. Um, it's a drink from two plants that are brewed together. Uh, and you can have a range of uh, experiences on it. Sometimes you can you won't see very much, and you you feel kind of dark, and and you throw up, and you know your stomach hurts the whole night. Uh, you know sometimes you have very magical visions where you feel like you're <clears throat> encountering kind of other beings, this astral space or spirits of of the dead, people you've known. Um, sometimes you feel like you get strong messages about uh, you know how you've you know maybe not been taking care of yourself properly or how or, or ways you've been acting uh, poorly to the people around you or, or, or to the world around you um, so yeah I mean it's a it's a it's an it's an incredible kind of a reconnector that kind of pulls you back to a source you know um, one of the uh, things you talk about in in this book is a fiction and, and in particular apocalyptic fiction and you're not a fan of that are you well, I probably am to a certain extent. That's probably why I, I resist it. Um, you know, I, I think I think that the, what we have a problem where um, you know people are stuck in a kind of certain in framing of, of the world, as somebody like Heidegger would say, and a lot of people don't really see like a way up or out. You know, and and a lot of even our our, our movies and fiction are kind of reflecting back at us our, our, this kind of this kind of doom that we feel about about what's ahead. I mean, I think it's a very fascinating thing, how difficult it is to imagine like 50 or 100 years in the future. I mean, you know, 30 years ago, could people have imagined that we would have, you know, what do you got, iPods and Blackberries and all this stuff, you know, would have felt very, very unlikely, um, you know, in, let, let alone 200 years ago, which is, you know, a blink of time, you know, so, so I think it's, it's, um, it's interesting, that there's a kind of failure of the cultural imagine to think imaginatively and creatively and po positively about what might be coming down the pike. And, 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 well, and, now, and, my, and my fear is that mm -hmm. these apocalyptic, um, you know, kind of uh, stories and images are creating a kind of feedback loop because 
you know, what we kind of, you know, part of what, you know, people talk about in the kind of post-New Age culture is that, you know, maybe our intention and our belief, our set and setting actually brings things into manifestation, kind of magnetizes or amplifies certain possibilities. So if we're actually only focused on uh, the breakdown, you know, and how, how kind of glamorously horrible it's going to get is, you know, <laughs> then, then that may be the, the, the future that we, that we create. Well, uh, but a lot of visions of the future, I think, from the 60s and 70s and even the 50s, imagined the year 2010 as being far, our civilization technologically being far more advanced than it's proved to be. I think the year 2010 has a lot more in common with the year 1960 than anybody back in 1960 would ever have expected. Oh, really? Okay, maybe right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's even a book called Where's My Jetpack? And I think, so I'm curious for you, you talk about you have a, a piece called "The Future Ain't What It Used Isn't What It Used to Be," so I, I'd like you to to explore your idea of your idea of the future. And one of the ways you do this, I think, is with analogy and and simile and metaphor. Uh, and when you're talking about uh, our approach to uh, the psychic world, for example, you cite that uh, the incredible changes uh, brought about by the our discovery of exactly how we could use electricity. Mm -hmm. So explain what that analogy is and where you think we're going psychically and, and how, how that might come about. Uh, yeah, well, that's, you know, one of my ideas is that um, ha having had myself a number of paranormal and extrasensory type experiences, uh, you know, I, I see that as, as, as a uh, capacity, you know, within, the, within all human beings. And it's one that our society has kind of denied. Once we're able to access it, you know, kind of uh, not just intuitively, but also technically and rationally, you know, could could be some something that that uh, extremely powerful for transformation. And um, you know, as an analogy, if we look at the 18th century with electricity, uh, you know, before we developed electricity, you know, nobody knew that that power could be harnessed in such a way. And then it took a little while. They began to get sparks. They saw that you could do it. They didn't know how to, you know, conduct it or store it. You know, and then as they figured that out, we went on a rampage. You know, over a century and a half, we really changed the entire geophysical nature of the planet. You know, we, we you know, constructed a whole civilizational superstructure. So that's so fast. And, you know, it could be that we're on the cusp of accessing a new energy that, that could be even more transformational, and, and that energy could be psychic energy. Now, you call this a, a kind of a, a psycho, psychotechnic future, and I think it's interesting because this is not a, a, a new idea. Even Thomas Edison felt that he, we were on the verge of a kind of a, 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 the discovery of what the life force was, that the life force was equivalent to electricity. Uh, yeah, well, in the 19th century, there was a big spiritualism movement, and it's always been something that that resurges at different at different times. Um, so, sure, I mean, there's a lot of you know continuity in, in how people understand stuff. You know, could you talk a, a, about some of the specific people that you're working with in terms of uh, of bringing about, or at least understanding and analyzing this kind of uh, psychic transformation? Well, I mean, I don't know about working with, but, uh, you know, 
one thing we can do with the Evolver network as it grows is we could do synchronized psychic, you know, efforts. Um, uh, I mean, I'm, I interviewed Dean Radin a number of times, a scientist at the Institute of Noetic Sciences. He's, he's featured in our film, 2012, Time for Change. Mm-hmm. I talked about him a lot in my last book. I think he's, he's mentioned in the new book, too. Uh, and he's sort of working on establishing experiments that can help to, um, you know, assess psychic capacity. Um, I'm also working with Jose Arguelles. I'm actually editing. Uh, we're we're going to have an Evolver imprint, uh, Evolver Editions, with North Atlantic Books starting next fall. So we're going to be releasing like four or five books per season. And one of our first books is uh, a book by Jose Arguelles called Manifesto for the Newosphere. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited about it. And you know, he he's uh, he was the one who developed the harmonic convergence. He wrote the Mind Factor. He's one of the main kind of thinkers who I who I reckon with in in 2012. Um, he has a whole idea about doing kind of uh, collective uh, psychic experiments leading up to 2012 and beyond to establish a connection, which he calls what he calls the newosphere. Newest is a word that means mind. So the idea that along with the biosphere and in our atmosphere and lithosphere, there's also a newosphere. There's a kind of envelope of thought around the earth that we can become consciously, um, you know, kind of uh, uh, connected with uh, th- through. Uh, this 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 series of meditations. One of the things that I think is is uh, interesting uh, about your your work is in your new book, Notes from the Edge Times, is in a sense just the title. Uh, I don't. Do you think there's ever been a time when there wasn't somebody out there writing a book with almost this title? Maybe. <laughs> Because it it seems that this feeling that we're always on the verge of, of uh, a great transformation, and often we are. I mean, it, it might. Well, have been... I mean, for my for my own life, the transformation is happening and has happened. I mean, I stepped from scientific, skeptical, materialist worldview to, you know, establishing, uh, you know, from my from my perspective, without doubt, that there is these shamanic realities, these psychic capacities. Uh, so, you know, I, I step past that edge in that sense. Um, and I think a lot of people are on that threshold. But then at the same time, we really are on the edge of ecological holocaust. If you look at, uh, you know, the climate change, melting of the icebergs, toxification of the environment, species extinction, 25% of all species could be extinct in 30 years by scientific predictions. 90% of the large fish are gone from the oceans, yet they're still trawling for fish. Huge plastic lakes. I mean, this is not... You know, you could say that there were previous times like this, but actually we've never been, in, in you know, this perilously, perilously close to, to, you know, annihilating the life support systems of the planet. So, uh, you know, they, they might, have, might have seemed like the edge times now, but I think there's more valid, you know, verifiable, uh, you know, reasons to really accept that we do have to, we are on the edge where we do have to. You know, our, our global financial system is crumbling. The Federal Reserve is now buying another $600 billion of U.S. Treasury bonds because nobody else will touch it. So what does that mean? That means that they're creating imaginary money to, to buy, uh, you know, unstoppable debt. You know, how long can that continue? What is that going to do to the value of the dollar? What's that going to do to, you know, other countries overseas? They're not going to let, you know, the U.S. can't just keep creating imaginary money, handing it over to the banks, the financial elite to buy resources in other countries. You know, they're starting to put up protectionist barriers or they're just going to go off the dollar as, as a usable standard. You know, so, I mean, especially in this country, but I would think all over the world is the same situation. This is the edge that that old capitalist system based on endless growth and material progress has hit the wall. 
So time to wake up and do something different. One of the things that, I, that you talk about is re, reinventing the mass media. And I, you're actually engaged with this, I, I believe, with the Evolver Network. But the mass media itself, it seems to be growing more toxic as time goes by. And it's interesting because you chart, in, when we've been speaking, you've been charting movements in two different, very, very different directions. On one hand, ecologically and economically, we are plummeting. We are on our, you know, hot rails to hell, as far headed for disaster. But on the other hand, there does seem to be, I think, on on a very low and local level, but um, per, suffused throughout the population, uh, growing awareness of a more the need for a more spiritual world. Could you talk about those kind of uh, counter forces? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean. Um... Well, I mean, I think there's a, uh, you know, control culture that's, uh, you know, some people give the name empire to it. And, uh, you know, it goes back many thousands of years. Naomi it's been Wolf. It's been developing, mm-hmm. uh, or, or Antonio Negri and Michael Hart, who are writers that I like a lot. It's been, you know, developing since Rome, you know, since Mesopotamia, you know. Uh, and um, the, the, the empire, the control culture uses... Uh, uh, mechanisms of indoctrination that they keep refining in order to maintain uh, the, the, you know, the, the populace, the mass consciousness at a, at a low frequency of, uh, you know, distraction, dissipation, um, ignorance, you know, and so on. So, you know, the, the mass media has become a very effective tool for human domination in that it just keeps people from questioning and from soul searching and from discovering uh, it keeps them cynical, it keeps them buying stuff, it keeps them sentimental, kind of, you know, believing that their own kind of ego desire is the only thing that, you know, is, has, has real value. So, but however, th- those same tools, um, which, you know, I think have been used in, you know, and also like this can sound very negative, but, you know, I also give credit to our society. I mean, I just think it's an evolutionary process. You know, we people do live longer, they have more comforts, you know, they have more access to, you know, experience and information and travel. I mean, you know, I don't want to negate all the things that we've gained, you know, through, through, through the culture that we've created. It's just, uh, you know, the, the, the question is, what's the next evolutionary step, you know? And, and, and so, and I don't even think like the people who are, you know, running the empire necessarily are, you know, for the most part doing it, you know, out of evil or something. It's, it's, it's more just like a, a system, you know, that's developed. Um, so, so, you know, for me, for me, like, um, there are all these indications as to what that next step would be, and it would be kind of, um, relocalization, you know, but in a planetary framework, like people really becoming aware of their own nature as planetary citizens rather than belonging to a nation state or whatever. The open source model, which has developed through, um, you know, uh, digital technology really could become kind of a, a new paradigm, not just for production of all sorts of stuff, but also for um, a, a social orchestration that's mm-hmm. not top-down, but actually grassroots and, and bottom-up, but, but, but utilizes, uh, you know, the creative capacity of, of, of the human swarm to make better decisions, uh, to become more discerning, and to kind of re, re-allocate uh, resources more equitably and compassionately. So using open source to create a new kind of form of almost what it would have to be called anti-government? 
Or uh, ungovernment, I guess, is maybe the best maybe, way. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Talk about uh, spirits. There's, there's an interesting uh, essay in your book about spirits. And I think that this is something that's key to your understanding or, or to your personal journey and also to your understanding of the change that's coming about. Uh, okay, well, I mean, um, you know, a lot of shamans, maybe all shamans really, work with spirits, uh, you know, and have spirits pass through them, um, healing spirits, vision spirits, and so on. And then they also recognize that, you know, when people come to see them for healing, that often what's preying upon them is, uh, you know, kind of this a dispossessed energy form that uh, has its own will and intentionality, and that that needs to be, um, you know, kind of, you know, ritualistically extracted, you know, from, from the person's essence that it's gotten intertwined with. And, um, you know, so I, I tend to think that that's the case, you know, that, that, that um, you know, that there are these, in, you know, from Emmett Goswami, who's a quantum physicist, talks about if we look at the ideas around quantum physics, you could see that potentially there could be uh, incorporeal patterns, you know, that just as there are... Um, um, action at a distance, you know, you know, a after the physical body dies, the incorporeal patterns of thinking, feeling, willing, you know, they, they, they go on and actually kind of seek to find another reference point in a physical organism so that they can continue an evolution towards, um, you know, returning back to kind of source consciousness or something. So, um, so, you know, we live in a society that's denied the existence of spirits. And, you know, we live in a society that committed genocide against the native people here and, you know, went on rampages against, you know, all over the world against, against different, you know, indigenous cultures and so on. So, you know, we, we may, as a result, be very much preyed upon by uh, dispossessed spirits. And, um, you know, so if we were to, you know, think about how to get out of the predicaments that we've created, there, there might need to be, you know, some types of non-rational methods, you know, ritualistic purifications or exorcisms um, that would need to take place. Talk about uh, the noetic science. That's an interesting notion, and it's not one that's familiar to a lot of people. Uh, what does it mean exactly? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was going to ask you. <laughs> it's, I, it's the Knowing or, uh, it... noetic. I'm not sure what the what the origin of the of the word is. I mean, Want to Google that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got your wife left. Um, yeah, well, I mean, Institute of Noetic Sciences mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, studies psychic phenomena and um, uh, I should have a good definition of that word. I'm sure I knew it at some point. <laughs> well, it's about, I think it, that the Institute of Noetic Science, it's about the convergence between the, the more intensified understanding and more nuanced and understanding of the spiritual world where that meets up with the fuzzier end of quantum physics and of the our scientific understanding where those two have yeah, a I don't kind think, of I don't think they would use the phrase spiritual word or word and I mean spiritual I don't think they would use that that phrase that word um, but yeah I mean it's 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 uh, I mean the original Institute of Noetic Sciences was kind of founded by Edgar Mitchell the astronaut mm -hmm. uh, you knew that right yes and that he had like an initial vision from space of a kind of psychic unity experience uh, so that's very interesting. It very much clicks into the, the newosphere concept. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, you know, I'll, I need to do a little definition work there. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, 
Uh, Neosphere and noetics sound like they share the same. Uh, no, something about knowing or mind or whatever. Um, but I think that the, the, the word spiritual is actually a problem uh, in general. Why do you think I'm that? Actually, I noticed that I use it a lot in Notes from the Edge Times, and if I was to rewrite the book, <laughs> I would probably take it out. Uh, because I think it reinforces a, a Western dualism between spirit and matter. Mm-hmm. And um, what I... What would you use in its stead? In um, well, it's, it's, that's like one of my quandaries right now. I'm like sort of thinking about... Like I, I'm still working on another book, and I feel I'm kind of like... Um, trapped by all this language that feels kind of like old or out of date but doesn't but i don't know where where the new um energy is in in the language well you know one of the things Um, i like about 2012 is that it's not a book that purports and i think a lot of your work is not about providing answers but more about understanding questions yeah, I mean, I think from notes from the Edge Times represents a, a, a transitional and in some places maybe slightly uncomfortable effort to kind of begin to provide some answers. Because mm-hmm. if we don't start to provide some answers, I mean, we can have questions all we want. But meanwhile, like big, big, big <laughs> the pieces of, of the, the stucco of our society is going to start crashing down on our head, you know. So um, I feel that, you know, pressure in a way. Uh, so, so, you know, instead of words like consciousness, which I think also becomes a problem, mm-hmm. or spirit, I mean, um, some friends of mine have been talking about, you know, coherence as, as a useful idea, you know, because consciousness in a, in a way kind of just becomes a placeholder. What we're really talking about is like, you know, coherence between thought and action, between like having a visionary principle and enacting it in one's daily life as, as a habitual, you know, uh, activity. Mm-hmm. You know, resilience, I think, is another one. The idea of moving towards um, a regenerative culture, you know, in a way. Um, so spirituality, <clears throat> I think, it, it can, can become a, a problem because it, our automatic sense is that spirituality is somehow like up above us or out in the sky uh, where we need it to be like right here, you know, embodied in, in our present activity. So you, you, have, you want our spirituality for you is something that exists in each of us in our actions as opposed to a, a, a separate place where we go. And, and Exactly. Now, talk about that and your work with the shamanic realms and, and those shamanic visions because that seems to indicate that is a slightly different place. Can, can, how do you reconcile those two? Uh, well, I mean, the, the, the value of initiatory experience mm-hmm. is... Um, what what use you put the the knowledge to you know i mean you don't in tribal cultures you don't have initiation and then you go you know that's it you 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 come back to the town the, the, and they and they integrate the new visions you mm-hmm. know they do dances or pageants maybe they even change you know somebody's had a vision of you know how things should be different and that's incorporated so so you know, um, the, the, an, an, as, uh, an aspect of initiation is the, the public witnessing and then the kind of integration of, of the new knowledge that, that, that then changes and transforms the, the life of society. You know, so it's not just in and of itself and for itself. Now, one of the things I think that's very interesting about this book and about your work is that while there's a lot of attention focused to some kind of big deal happening in the year 2012 that's not what you're very interested in is it no i'm I'm not i mean i don't care about that at all 
Well, tell us what you are interested in and, and why, how you see your work as moving towards 2012, which is obviously the title. One uh, I'm interested in extraterrestrials. I'm very interested in extraterrestrials. That's what I'm interested in at the moment. And Egypt. I'm getting, getting more and more interested in Egypt. Uh, Egypt, psychic phenomena, extraterrestrials. No, I mean, I, um, well, this is interesting. Ratchet back to the extraterrestrials. I, I, do you feel that they're from another planet, or do you well, go with John Keel in the ultra-terrestrials? I, I, I think it's a both and. I don't, I don't mm -hmm. see why, uh, when we look at our development over the last couple centuries from, you know, horses to, you know, jet fighters, um, you know, I, I don't see why if, if a species that was developing, you know, th uh, you know, more and more intense technology and more and more intense, you know, consciousness, they get past the, the point that we're approaching, which is kind of species bifurcation point where we may not make it on this planet. And uh, then they go on for 200 years, 5,000 years, 50,000 years, 10 million years. You know, they're, they're going to have, um, you know, a, a level of technology that we probably can't understand yet. They're also, they're, they're, their activities are also going to be um, oriented in a way that's extremely difficult for us to understand. I mean, just like an ape can look at us, you know, 100,000 years ago, we were basically apes, and, you know, they, they understand that we're mammals and that we like to eat bananas, but are the, the other aspects of our, of our culture, our subtleties, refinement, and so on, that ape can't even, you know, participate in that, really, you know? So, 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 um, so yeah, so... Uh, in a way, I, I, if we look at all the UFO sightings around the world and the crop circles and other phenomena, you know, I think that there are galactic federations out there, and um, you know that 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 if we can get past this point uh, of of uh, you know pathetic barbarism, uh, you know, we 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 could potentially you know be part of a, some kind of galactic society or something. Uh, so, I mean, and that, I'm not saying that's going to happen on December 22nd, 2012, but, um, you know, it could be something that could happen in our lifetimes even, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not out of the question. I mean, especially the last, you know, over the, over the last months, there've been a lot of like UFO sightings where some people are talking about as mass intentional decloakings and so on. Um, so yeah, so, uh, are I, you I, familiar I, with the Strugatsky brothers? No. Uh, they're some Russian science fiction writers, and they have a, a novel called Roadside Picnic. And the premise of that novel is is that something happens, and there are eight or so zones created on the Earth, and it's like somebody was shooting a, a, a rifle at them as the world turned. And their uh, concept of of what alien intel our experience of alien intelligence is like is that we're like ants trying to. Uh, look at the at the trash from a roadside picnic and figure out what is that mm -hmm. and i think that's not unlike that your your description of of what we may the challenges we may face and even trying to understand some of these things that are happening to us yeah yeah so i mean so like for, from my perspective there's like you know um we can you know i think that we can see that we're in a kind of um cul-de-sac, you know, in terms of the present capitalist civilization and, and that it really has missed out on large aspects of crucial, crucial aspects of being and experiencing and that so we need to somehow um, supersede it, you know, um, I've used the metaphor of like a snake shedding its skin or something, like there's an old skin of these 
financial and, and political institutions that's beginning to, to fray and fall apart, but the new texture has to kind of mesh underneath, you know, in that process. Uh, and, and then, so there, so that's really tangible and we need to go from, you know, ecologically destructive to, you know, regenerative, somehow, you know, re recreate our industries so that they're, you know, zero waste, you know, following kind of nature's operating logic where there's no waste. And then, um, you know, beyond that, or maybe at the same time as that, is, is our capacity to, um, you know, move into a, a new psychic um, re reality and um, potentially, you know, coll collaborate, co-create with these other orders of uh, consciousness. Now, um, one of the things I think that's interesting, and it must be interesting for you, too, as you collected the, the works in Notes from the Edge Times, is, you know, to look at some of these dates, you know, 2007, 2008, when you're tracking the financial uh, meltdown, and now we've kind of got past that, or maybe we haven't. So talk about your sense of yourself in the past versus your sense of yourself in the present. Um, well, I, I, you know, that's very difficult to do, really. But, but I mean, um, uh, I, I feel in a way that post the last book, I made a little bit of an intentional sacrifice, and I've been working, like kind of overworking myself. But it, it was because, uh, you know, I mean, I've had this, 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 you know, theoretical deadline, I and mean, I've been trying to get something in place for this time. Um, you know, it's un, un, not, you know, not saying that it's going to be exactly on the nose that time, but recognizing that this this transition is is speeding up mm -hmm. and there's a lack of you know media and and community you know infrastructure that's presenting a viable alternative um so you know i, I i've sacrificed a little bit of my like own you know I interiorness a little bit of my kind of like subtle poetic romantic imaginativeness in order to learn about business to try to make a company uh, and so on, and so I'm kind of pissed off actually about that. To get right, to get right down to it. <laughs> well, uh, why, why are you? Do you feel like you? I mean, making a company that's participating in one of those big bricks of uh, infrastructure that's going to come ripping down any second now. Well, yeah, but that's. I mean, if you read my work, I mean, I, I really talk about like we're in a transitional time, and mm -hmm. we have to use the uh, you know the the system that there is to to make the system that can be. Mm -hmm. And but that but it's a very difficult thing to do, and especially with you know the the radical nature of my ideas, and, and you know, and, and you know, you know, to, to raise investment capital for a company that is putting forth th these types of uh, you know projects and ideas has been quite a serious struggle. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so in terms of where I was at with the la with the last book, I feel like I've sacrificed a little of my interiority uh, temporarily to have to deal with stuff like marketing, promotion, business shit. Stuff that honestly I don't really care about, but it seemed necessary to to that somebody should translate, you know, vision into like practical system. Books we can read, actually, and and the and the Evolver Network. Yeah. Well, now I I'd like you to ask where you think you're going next. Well, I'm trying to get to Egypt. And why? Um, well, I really like. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, just studying, and I'm reading Nassim Har studying some of Nassim Harmin's ideas and other people who, who Graham Hancock, who believed that there was a, um, uh, you know, kind of uh, higher technologies that they possessed or alternative technologies, let's say, that they possessed that included uh, 
energy uh, technologies, uh, you know, something along the lines of the Ark of the Covenant, having been a torsion field generator that was able to part the Red Seas and to raise gigantic stones to build huge monuments. Uh, and uh, I, I also think it's quite possible that uh, Egypt was a, was, a, was a relic of a higher civilization that potentially was um, based around uh, contact, uh, communion with, with a, a galactic level uh, civilization or galactic level intelligence. And how are you going to investigate this? Um, you know, just same method that I used in the last books. I mean, talk to people, read about it, walk around, you know. I've been speaking with Daniel Pinchbeck. His new book is Notes from the Edge Times, and we are living in the edge times. Thank you for joining me, Daniel. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.